It was a cloudless Sunday afternoon. It's a perfect day for a walk. It was seven miles to the city of Emmaus, which is about a two-hour walk. And it was good because they had much to talk about. So much had happened. You see, there was a man named Jesus of Nazareth, a good man, a prophet. But our leaders didn't see the goodness in him, and they betrayed him, and they got him killed. But some of our women ran to the tomb at the break of dawn this morning, and they, they said the body wasn't there. And then they had this story, and you're not going to believe this, but according to them, there were angels there, and they were telling that this Jesus of Nazareth is alive. We had hoped that he'd be the one to deliver Israel, to give us the deliverance we've been longing for for so long. His body isn't there. Where is he? What if I told you that the greatest news in the history of the world is true? That the Jesus who rose from the dead was actually standing there with them. And he turned and he looked at them and he said, Don't you know that everything every writer since Moses has written was about me? So you thought that David and Goliath fight was just a great bedtime story. But what's really happening is that God has chosen a special child through the seed of Abraham to deliver his people and to become king by staring death in the face and overcoming it. That's me. And you thought Jonah was just a whale of a tale. But I'm telling you, When God's prophet spends three days entombed in the depths, but then rises again, that's me. And if you've been looking for it, if you've been reading the Bible the way I read the Bible, then you would know that every time God's people faced obstacles, every time they lost their temple, they lost their land, they lost their reputation, God brought them back, which means faithfulness that ends in death can only lead to resurrection. Don't you know? And at the end of the story, at the end of the chapter, at the end of the book of Luke, Jesus turns to his disciples and the text says, He opened their minds. The message says, He opened their understanding of the Word of God so they know how to read their Bibles. This way. Let's reflect on the depth of the gospel. Because that same Jesus that was standing there with the two on the way to Emmaus is now present here with us. And together, church... We say to God, here I am to worship. You're listening to Life on the West Side. Here's Nathan Guy. Last week, we opened our Bibles to 1 Corinthians 15. And there, the Apostle Paul laid out the gospel. He said, I want you to know what is of first importance. It's the gospel I handed on to you. It's the thing that you took your stand on. 
It's the thing you've received. It's the thing that's going to save you. That Christ died for our sins. That he was buried. That he rose again. That he was seen by others. This, says Paul, is the gospel we preach. It's what you believe. And it's what you received. Sounds simple enough, doesn't it? Simple, yes. Simplistic, not on your life. And last week, I challenged you to see the gospel as your one thing. The headline through which you see everything. And it changes the way you approach every aspect of your life. But since it affects and defines everything else, it's anything but simplistic. The gospel is deep and wide. We get the first inkling of this if we take a look again at that second passage that we read last week. Romans 5, verses 6 through 11. At just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Not only is this so, but we also boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. The word gospel doesn't appear in that section. But Paul pulls on some threads that he only briefly summarized back in 1 Corinthians 15. For example, back in 1 Corinthians 15, he says, Christ died for our sins. But Paul adds that that was when you were powerless to die for your own sins. And it wasn't just some past indiscretion that we were powerless to fix. It was an ever-present reality. And it wasn't like God had to do it. He wanted to do it. Notice that the gospel is rooted in the love of God. And not just that. For a good man or for a righteous man, someone might die. But God demonstrates his own love in that while we were still God's enemies, Christ died for us. And under the heading, he was raised from the dead. Paul here says that that raising from the dead justifies you and me. It reconciles us back to God. And under the heading, he was seen by others. We see Paul add to that by saying, just as Jesus went door to door, revealing that he is risen and that now we can have a relationship with him. Paul says in Romans 5 that we've received this whole package, this promise, this whole cosmic Hope of reconciliation to heal broken relationships with people and the whole world. God didn't just pay a past debt. 
He's making everything right. And even this, where Paul pulls out a few strands of the gospel, is just the hem of the garment, the tip of the iceberg. The gospel is deep and wide. We see more depth in Romans chapter 1, when Paul begins what many consider to be his magnum opus. And there he connects the gospel with the story that God's been telling from the very beginning. Listen to his words in the New International Reader's Version. I, Paul, wrote this letter. I serve Christ Jesus. I've been appointed to be an apostle, and God set me apart to tell others the good news. He promised the good news long ago. He announced it. He announced the gospel through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. Now, the good news is about God's son. He was born into the family line of King David. And by the Holy Spirit, he was appointed to be the mighty son of God. And God did this by raising him from the dead. He is Jesus Christ, our Lord. And we received grace because of what Jesus did. He made us apostles to the Gentiles. We must invite all of them to obey God by trusting in Jesus. And we do this to bring glory to him. And you are among those Gentiles who are appointed to belong to Jesus Christ. Right off the bat, we see that the gospel, the good news that brings joy to the whole world, wasn't just announced on that starry night to the shepherds keeping watch over their flocks. The gospel is a story that was announced to the prophets in the Old Testament. Paul hints at this in 1 Corinthians 15. Remember this phrase he says over and over again? Not just that he died and was buried and rose again, but that he died and rose according to the scriptures. Now, we usually use that in an apologetic sense, sort of proving that he's the Messiah. But I think Paul means more than that here. I think what he's saying is, the gospel you received, the gospel you accepted, is the gospel that the scriptures have been talking about and pointing toward this whole time. There's a fact about the gospel that Paul's pulling out for us. And here's a second strand. The gospel, of course, is about Jesus, God's son. That's the simple truth. But who is Jesus? He's the one long awaited. He's the Messiah talked about in the prophets and whispered about by every Jewish couple when they gave birth to a child and they wondered, could this be him? Paul talks about this in 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 8. Remember Jesus Christ, raised from the dead, descended from David. This is my gospel. There's a third strand. The gospel of reconciliation means that Gentiles, like you and me, are offered life with God as complete as Adam in the garden. No more court of the Gentiles that was far away from the center of the temple. 
Gentiles are now welcomed into the Holy of Holies, face to face with God himself. Paul says this over in Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 6. This mystery, says Paul, is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, and sharers together in the promise that is Christ Jesus. Can I remind you of another astounding passage that is meant to blow our minds and show us just how far back the good news of the gospel goes? Paul said in Galatians 3 and verse 8, Scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and announced or preached the gospel to Abraham by saying all nations are going to be blessed through you. The hope for that, the promise for that, was present back in Genesis chapter 12. And not only that, the strands that make up the gospel, the truth that explains and expounds who Jesus is and all that God would accomplish through the Messiah can be found in the whole narrative of Scripture. Luke 24, which we referred to at the beginning of worship. Jesus says to those people on the walk to Emmaus, don't you know that everything that's been written about me in the scriptures must be fulfilled? And then later he says to his apostles, don't you know every section of scripture, the law, the prophets, and the Psalms testify about me. And then the next verse is even more important. He opened their minds so they could understand how to read the scriptures. I pray that God will open our minds. He'll open our eyes. And when he does, the gospel rightly understood, rightly preached, rightly read, believed and received opens our eyes, and when we read our Bibles, we begin to see the story of God reconciling the world in Jesus Christ on every page. The gospel is simple, but never simplistic. It's deep and wide. As I read scripture, I see four basic questions being asked over and over again. And they're answered when you understand the gospel. The four questions are these. Where did I come from? What went wrong? How is it going to be made right? And how do I participate? The gospel, the good news that God has reconciled the world in Jesus Christ is the answer to number three. But don't you see how you need to know that if the gospel is making things right, that must mean that something went wrong. So the answer to number three will help explain how to respond to number two. But it's also true that the answer to number three is going to affect how you answer number one. You can't talk about how I began left alone, helpless and by myself. Can't be the case. 
Because before the foundations of the world, before God even made you and me, before he called a people, he was already planning to buy them back when they fail. And when you know the gospel, you can't help but respond. How can I have access to this grace? And how can this story about Christ also be told in my story? You get the gospel right, and everything else falls into place. Let me show you what I mean. Look at the great theme of creation. It's not just in Genesis 1 and 2 and 3. It's all through Scripture, spoken of over and over again. Where did I come from? Well, the answer to that is you were specially made by a loving God who wanted you to be made in his very image. And just as you are body, soul, and spirit, God is Father, Son, and Spirit, and yet one God. And that good and loving God is one of the strands that Paul connects with the gospel. But what went wrong? Human beings made in the image of God, called to be God's children, fell for the temptation to replace him. To no longer be servants, but masters of ourselves. And we became infested with sin. So great is this sin that it separated us from God. And once that happened, it separated us from each other. Husband and wife would now be at each other's necks. Animals would fight to the death with each other. Nation would rise against nation and all of that. It's just an echo of the resulting curse, the inner desire to be the master of the throne that leads to a curse for us all. And that sense of sinfulness, our powerlessness to do anything about it, and even our antagonistic eneminess is one of the strands that Paul reminds us of when he declares the gospel. How is it going to be made right? The prophecy in Genesis 3 is that the seed of the woman would crush the serpent's head. The prophets spoke of a longing for new creation when the first heaven and the first earth, full of degradation, full of pain, full of death, would be replaced with a world in which God's on his throne. And everything is made right. But it could only come through a new Adam, Paul says in Romans 5. Through the perfect seed. Through the one who would face the temptation and not give in to the serpent, but would rather remain servant to God. And then, who would bear the penalty of our sin, and who would even take death upon himself, reversing the curse and offering the promise of new life. How can I participate? Well, just as you didn't earn your creation, you can't earn your salvation, but you can receive it. You can experience the changed world, the changed relationships, the removal of all the walls that we have built up that separate us from others by becoming a new creation. 
and all who become new creations will experience life in the new creation when God makes all things new. You receive this truth, as Paul put it. You accept it. Behold, if anyone is in Christ, Paul says, he's a new creation. And if you're tempted to think too highly of yourself and to forget that your way is powerless, or if you're tempted to think too low of yourself and continue on your path of hopelessness, repent and believe the gospel. What about the theme of covenant? God made covenant with Adam in the garden. He made covenant with Noah. He made covenant with Abraham. He made covenant with Moses. God's in the deal business. Where did I come from? Well, if you're Jewish, you were chosen by a good and loving God and then adopted as his child. You didn't show yourself worthy of the covenant. God says in Deuteronomy, I didn't pick you because you're smart. I didn't pick you because you're pretty. I didn't pick you because you're really good fighters. In fact, the nicest thing he says about them is you're a stubborn and a stiff-necked people. But I made you. I called you. I picked Abraham out. And I said, I'm going to have a nation through you. And if you end up in the desert, it's because I led you there. And if you end up in the promised land, it's because I led you there. What went wrong? Human beings made in God's image to be God's children fell for the temptation. Yet again. That even though God makes a, a deal with me, and God says, if you heed and abide by my laws, I'll bless you. And if you don't, I'll allow the curse to fall upon you, either as a warning or a reprimand or simply as a result of your denial of the covenant. But I'm trying to help you. These are for your benefit. Doing these things will keep you safe. They'll help you flourish. And then you'll get to know me better and better. But if you fail to do these things, not only will you fail to understand me, you'll become less and less truly human. And it will cause you to become more and more like enemies rather than sons. And what do we do? I bet it took us about as long as it took Adam and Eve. We fell. We kept failing. And our constant failing brought upon us the consequences of what happens when you fail to keep covenant with God. How is it going to be made right? God can't stop loving. And so God says, you need a sacrifice. And I'll be that sacrifice. It's the covenant calls for. And you need a high priest. I'll be that high priest. It's what the covenant calls for. Somebody has to bear the burden. Someone has to bear the curse. I will bear it. And Paul says that makes him both just and the justifier. How can I participate? You didn't earn a spot in the covenant. God gave covenant. You can't earn a spot in your salvation. But you can recognize this incredible fact. God has called you too. 
Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Abraham answered when the Lord called, and you, God has chosen you. God sacrificed himself on the altar. He now reigns himself as the intercessor, and he wants you to be included among his people. In the cross, we see law and love combining. Accept it. Receive reconciliation. The covenant. Every covenant was always for some, but this one is for all. You're all sons of God by faith in Christ Jesus, writes Paul. You think too high of yourself, your own abilities, your list of accomplishments, and think that'll save you. If you think your loyalty card or your breastplate of righteousness is what earns your spot, or if you think too little of yourself, as if Christ's sacrifice couldn't cover even you, repent and believe the gospel, and it will change your life. This morning, Jesus cries out for you to accept the gospel. He wants you to receive it. When people in the first century heard the gospel, they recognized their condition. I'm unable to save myself. I need Jesus to save me. They resolved to accept the gospel, not just as another idea or even as a religion, but as a lens through which they would view everything about life. Then they put the gospel in action. And if you want to respond to the gospel this morning, you can come up here and you can walk down the aisle while we sing a song and then we're going to dramatically display the gospel. We're going to ask you if you accept your condition. We're going to ask you if you recognize who is the Lord of your life that can only be one. We're going to take you, your body, soul, and spirit made in the image of God, but marred by sin, and we're going to watch it die and be buried and rise again. Filled with God's spirit, new creation, new covenant, Return from exile is to be told to the world dramatically this morning, just like Christ spoke to those two on the way to Emmaus on that Sunday morning. Christ says, won't you let me this Sunday morning become your life? The gospel is what you took your stand on, and it's the only thing that saves. Thanks for joining. No one has ever loved you like Jesus Christ. I hope you feel that love in every sermon that's preached on this podcast. You can find more sermons, transcripts, study guides at nathanguy.com. Please stay tuned for another lesson and rest in the love of Christ.